My name's Nick Samios. I'm the Director and Fund Manager here at Hermes Capital, and I'm your host. So once again, uh, welcome. Uh, just a reminder to like, share, and subscribe to Lunch Money on YouTube or to our podcast if you prefer to listen. Let me open up by asking you a question. Has the world gone crazy? And the answer is, of course, yes. Um, but I've always said that all we can do uh, every day, jump out of bed and deal with uh, what's in front of us and look for opportunities. And to that end, uh, let's ask our panellists um, how we should go about finding opportunities uh, in, in these crazy times. I'm going to start off with Neil Cusson. Neil is a partner at Deloitte uh, Restructuring. Uh, how are you going, Neil? You're going pretty well, Nick. Thanks for uh, inviting me on the panel today. You're very welcome. What, uh, what's been keeping you busy these past couple of weeks? Oh, really just conversations in the market about opportunities and, and I guess um, when those opportunities should present themselves. Um, when, does, when will COVID sort of slow to a, a point where um, business needs to make some harder decisions than they've probably been forced to to date? And, uh, you know, those businesses where, hey, will I get more empathy um, with a balance sheet restructure right now rather than waiting to say, post-COVID and uh, talking to my lenders, talking to my financiers about when is the best time to probably look at those uh, balance sheet restructures as against uh, a later management and operational restructure, I guess. So that, those conversations are happening a lot and uh, a lot of virtual uh, meetings still still occurring, both in the court, uh, mediation and creditors meetings, which are have been pretty inter interesting to try to get a, a good result for creditors. But uh, I think everyone's sort of... Uh, towing the line to be helpful and uh, trying to preserve businesses and doing all the best they can to, to get past these, you know, strange times. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, an interesting uh, three months. So it's interesting what you say there because, um, you know, we'll get to uh, the, the, the big thing about the cliff that everybody's talking about. Um, and obviously for a lot, of, uh, a lot of restructuring people, you know, the phones have been uh, pretty quiet these last uh, past month or so. But you're, you're saying that people are now beginning to have the conversations about maybe uh, doing the restructuring. I call it under the, cover of, uh, under the cover of COVID, if you like. But people are beginning to, to get more serious about that now? Yeah, they are. And uh, those conversations are more frequent. And uh, I guess, you know, this in the press where numbers are easing, New Zealand's opening, what does that border look like for uh, a small uh, trans Asia, um, New Zealand, Australia, Pacific Island sort of economy, um, particularly for tourism. Um, and uh, there's a lot of tourism operators hurting where they're trying to look at uh, restructures now so they can come out the other side, particularly, you know, there's some probably tourist operators that probably will miss a whole year when you take into account the bushfire season. So there's a lot happening in that particular industry and also uh, building construction is probably the, the two main areas, hospitality and building construction, that we're seeing those uh, those conversations happening. And whilst secure creditors have a number of rights um, in uh, the current system, uh, it's the burden on unsecured creditors, as I think is the real concern going forward. Right. And, uh, to use your terminology of cliff, yeah, look, that's getting banked up yeah. and... Uh, you know, SCOMO has basically given people six months not to pay their debts. So uh, when you say when you say burden of unsecured creditors, are you maybe thinking of like a, a domino type effect? You know, if one business shuts, is that is that what you're talking about? That that sort of thing. Well, that that is one. 
aspect, but I just think it's a plethora of different businesses and different industries that are affected by this. And uh, um, certainly if your three major suppliers or customers are impacted, then you are certainly going to be impacted depending on what your concentration risk is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's certainly right, going to we'll be uh, tough times. Okay. Well, look, hold that thought, Neil. We'll come back to you in a moment. We'll introduce our next panellist, uh, Alison Robertson from HWL Ebsworth in Perth. How are you going, Alison? I'm really well, Nick. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. And what's been keeping you busy this past week or so? Uh, the past week or so, um, we've got a, a fair degree of existing um, litigation that um, has been rolling along throughout this COVID period, if you can call it that. Um, so I think the, the crisis hasn't really appeared to slow down um, people that are already in, in disputes, especially the more complex ones. And, of course, there are court timetables that still have to be complied with. Um, so, I mean, that sort of work is, is, is rolling around in the background still and, and people perhaps even more so because of the crisis are really keen um, to get an outcome in their, their existing litigation. The other thing I've seen in the last week or so is um, the, the banks... Uh, reaching out to their customers um, who have availed themselves of, you know, deferrals or other um, COVID-related measures that the banks have been um, prepared to put into place to just touch base with them, you know, how's it going, um, what does it look like in the coming weeks and months, and and seeing that the banks are um, genuinely trying to assist the customers in those positions, but also to to formalise arrangements. So we're starting to see a little bit of a flow of deeds of forbearance and deeds right. of settlement and release and the like to try right. to get some firm understanding between the customers and the lenders about what's what's coming up. And how, um, how far how far reaching are these deeds of forbearances? Um, uh, you know, are they reaching down mm-hmm. six months, twelve months? Absolutely, horses for courses. It all depends upon the nature of the customer, the customer's business, um, you know, and and where they're, um, where their exposure lies. Right, right, right. And um, and following on, so so that's what you're seeing from the banks. It's interesting. I mean, in people that we've been speaking to with uh, over the weeks here recently, uh, have been saying that the banks are I'm very much looking after their existing customer base. So, yes. Or, or allocating their time and resources. Uh, if you know, if you want to apply to a bank and you're new to that bank, that's going to be tough. Uh, but it sounds like you're saying that they are definitely being proactive with their with their current base. Absolutely, that's what we're seeing. And the other thing I've seen a lot of in the last couple of weeks um, are inquiries from landlords and tenants, because like the other states and territories in in WA, there's been new legislation um, introduced to COVID nineteen response legislation. Um, regulating in a, in a brand new way the relationships between landlords and tenants, both right. commercial and residential, um, particularly for some landlords, this, you know, it's presenting some real challenges, the extent to which um, they can't enforce their usual rights, the extent mm. to which they are required to give waivers or deferrals of, of rental. So mm. for some significant landlords, you know, this is um, going to be challenging. And mm. then from the tenant's point of view as well, you know, they're reaching out to us for advice about, what position they're coming from, what bargaining tools they have, um, mm. and how they can use the benefits of this legislation, I guess, in conjunction with their other COVID tools to be able to survive and come out the other end. Look, I think, uh, I mean, I've certainly heard of, uh, you know, there are some examples where tenants are also, maybe tenants that 
aren't in industries that have been hit by COVID are still trying to, uh, I guess, not let uh, not, not let a crisis go to waste. Are you seeing any of Absolutely. that? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, tenants who aren't in hard-hit industries, also tenants who were financially distressed prior to COVID-19, yeah. but taking advantage of the opportunities that um, this, these new rules are, are presenting to them. All right, now hold, hold those thoughts, Alison. Uh, we will put you on hold. We'll come back to you in a moment. I'm just going to introduce Mark Jason, our third panellist today. Uh, g'day, Mark. How are you going? Hi, very well, thanks. A popular demand. Uh, we've, we've, we've got Mark back again. What uh, Has anything sort of uh, in the last couple of weeks, how, how are you finding things? Uh, thankfully, quite a few settlements in the last week or two and a few more wow. due in June and early July, which is um, gratefully appreciated. They were certainly and that, put now, just, on hold just, for just, I didn't, I didn't say what you do. I mean, so you're oh, in you're the business right. of buying and selling businesses. So when you say settlements, you mean business trans- like Business transactions, yeah, Fantastic. Exactly. People buying we, businesses. We traditionally transact uh, 700 uh, businesses a year in Australia and New Zealand. Yep. And um, I know that uh, in my office alone, we lost over $50 million worth of deals uh, when COVID hit. Yeah. But it's nice to see a few deals starting to go through. And yep. um, inquiry rates are at record highs at the moment. Um, uh, let me uh, ask you, inquiry rates are high for people looking buyers. to buy or looking to sell? Yeah, probably yeah. more the yeah. buyer job market. I think uh, yeah. the, the sellers are sitting on their hands at the moment, even if they potentially don't have a viable business moving forward. A lot of them are holding on to their JobKeeper and their rental abatements and, and that not making a move. But our actually inquiry rates, so demand side economics, um, are through the roof at the moment. And we're seeing a lot of people looking to buy a job, um, a lot of people wanting to secure an income um, come the end of, uh, you know, mortgage holidays and the like. And how, the, how do you think they're going with raising finance to buy those businesses or are they cashing in, you know, are they, are they, are they cashed up or what, what's the general... Good question. Finance is going to be tough. I think yeah. um, the banks, are, you know, post-Royal Commission finance was tough um, yeah. and uh, and now, you know, banks are looking at their risk profiles and things like this. Um, we're going to be looking at second-tier lenders. Um, yeah. uh, we're, we're pushing, uh, we're encouraging our buyers to go to um, bro- brokers because brokers know where the lending is going to be available. Um, yeah. There's a lot of... Um, equipment finance, um, and uh, a lot of vendor finance is coming into the play as well. Right. Um, so, so you're seeing you, you're, you're able to get the people that are selling their businesses to uh, to, to take a vendor finance position, to, to wait yeah, for I their think, money? I think these days um, with the PPSR um, and the like, I think it's not as onerous as it was perhaps, you know, 12, 15 years ago. Yeah. As long as they've got available equity, there's some security there and there's a few different yeah. ways of securitising the loan, um, then it's a viable option. You're just releasing equity that the banks are not don't have an appetite for at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I guess from the buyer's point of view, it, uh, it makes sure that the, 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 the vendor's not selling you a, a dummy pass, I suppose. And that's one option, yeah. But I think also for a vendor, you know, the availability of finance um, and also you know, the interest, interest that they'll get over the time are, um, are both positives and can increase the sale price quite substantially. And what about, um, what, what sort of industries? Oh, look, you know, we have uh, close to 2,000 businesses on the market in Australia alone, so we're across all industries. Um, transport, logistics, um, uh, medical, they're all moving. We've even sold right. a few hospitality businesses in the last week. Is um, that right? 
yeah, it is. There's a few gym gym sales waiting in the uh, in the in the wings, but business to business, business to government um, is quite strong. People looking for manufacturing, so our manufacturing businesses, whether it's packaging, contract packaging, food manufacturing, have all um, had very high inquiry rates over this period. Right. And there's, an, there's a few of those sorts of businesses around, the manufacturing there are, and the packaging. Yeah. It's not to say that they haven't been hit by corona or, you know, down, but um, uh, some of them have pivoted to become B2C for a while. Um, others are, are seeing uh, uh, a resurgence in their orders. Um, so there are strong businesses out there, definitely. Um, online has uh, inquiry rates have gone through the roof, though, in anything right. online at the moment. Okay. All right. Well, look, uh, what we'll do now is we'll just bring everyone in together. Neil, in your business, uh, I mean, do you, do, you, do you deal with business brokers much or what, what sort of um, when you're selling businesses? Oh, look, yeah, we do. I mean, we get uh, inquiries from business brokers that, you know, to that contact us when they see a business that may have gone into administration um, that they believe they can help us, particularly with their, their large um, uh, database of, of uh, buyers and uh, interested parties. And, uh, yeah, look, that's that's always welcome to make sure that um, you cover the market. And, uh, you know, we've got a duty, particularly under certain aspects of the Corporations Act, to get the best possible um, outcome. And yeah. so uh, we're happy to, to, to um, tap into that broker network and... Uh, um, you know, be, be assisted by by those teams. Yeah, okay. All right, well, look, let's um, let's take a look at our headlines uh, now. Um, so we've bunched uh, three of them together here. The first one is D-Day looms for banks over $224 billion in loans. Um, now, this particular article here, uh, it's referencing, obviously, uh, the defer these loans that were deferred as part of the... Um, you know, as part of the measures to uh, deal with COVID in the first place. Um, apparently, there's $224 billion in loans that have been deferred. That's 745,000 loans approximately. And uh, this article goes on to say that um, if, if those loans weren't to be treated as deferred loans, but rather were to be treated as impaired loans, uh, it would basically, uh, it would more or less, I mean, quote, unquote, more or less wipe out the bank's capital. So it's uh, it's potentially quite serious. I wonder, um, just starting with you, uh, Alison. I mean, what you've been speaking to the banks. I mean, do you, do you think are they talking about potentially extending these um, these uh, deferrals, or are they, you know, waiting for uh, for it all to come to an end? I I don't know that they're talking necessarily about extending um, the deferrals, but I do think that. Um, they're taking a horses for courses approach. So I think that what they're more than prepared to do is um, listen to individual customers and their needs um, and work out an arrangement with them that, you know, is within the bank's um, legal obligations and also its own internal policies and, of course, subject to all of the regulation that sits over the top of the banking industries to see what they can do to assist individual customers to be able to, you know, work it out through um, this period. So I don't know that there's going to be a sort of a blanket extension of the deferrals. Um, I'd be interested to see if, you know, if one bank came to market 
with an announcement that they were doing a blanket extension of deferrals, you know, as right. things historically go that other banks would likely follow. I certainly haven't heard any rumours um, to that effect, but right. I do think that despite the end of September um, existing deadline, that banks would be prepared to continue to work with their customers on an, on an individual basis. Well, look, speaking to finance brokers, um, I mean, it's a bit of a double-edged sword for businesses because on one hand, obviously, deferrals are great. But on the other hand, um, if the banks know that if you've deferred with them or if they know that you've deferred with one of the other banks, uh, they're very reluctant to extend you fresh credit, you know, for fresh yes. and, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, I, 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 um, Neil, uh, I was speaking to one of our mutual friends uh, recently. He was saying that, uh, the banks, uh, well, the, well, the one of the banks in particular was looking to double um, their their um, the number of people working in their restructuring, you know, bad bank workout area. Um, and you know, when I heard that, I've spoken to some other people, and it it seems that pretty much all of the major banks are certainly gearing up. I mean, is that is that what you're hearing? Yeah. Look, I think um, after the GFC, there was a lot of you know, four or five years on fight four to six years on after that, um, there was a lot of senior bankers in the restructuring area that probably uh, were retiring, um, took some redundancies, and uh, there was sort of a new team sort of came into all the banks and uh, um, some with probably uh, less experience than their, their predecessors. But uh, what we're seeing is, um, I guess, consultants moving out of the banks in uh, those secondment areas and uh, the banks wanting to redeploy their own people into credit and risk mm. Um, mm. so there's, there's less redundancies in those banks. So we're seeing sort of a new wave of people being uh, um, coming to top up those areas. Um, well, it could be, uh, yeah, it certainly could be a baptism by fire uh, if, if, if things are going to be the way they, you know, if you look at some of these headlines, you know, D-Day and... Uh, you know, prepare for shock and they're talking about cliffs and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, you, you, you certainly need to learn fast. Just looking at that third item there from the ABC, not enough liquidators to deal with coronavirus-related corporate collapses. Um, I mean, is that what, what, what do you reckon, Neil? Is that, is that the case? Um, look, I, I probably wouldn't go that far um, at this stage. I mean, the regulator um, has put in place different procedures which has reduced the number of uh, registered liquidators in relation to uh, um, the way they pay fees and the way they uh, deal with um, um, payments by liquidators and their, their levies on them. So the numbers have come down from from sort of 900 to sort of sort of the six, 680 mark in the last right. year to two years. So there has been... a, a a reduction, and that's been wow. due to the, due to the regulator imposing those levies. But uh, I think at the moment, I you know there should be a, a reasonable amount of coverage nationally to to deal with to deal with issues at the moment. Mm. I wonder, uh, Alison, just you know, if the liquidators are going to be run off their feet, and the banks aren't really, you know, they're going to have a lot of uh, new staff in these areas. Is that going to be put, putting pressure on law firms? Do you mean pressure on law firms to be able to provide legal advice to the liquidators? Yeah, well, to, to step up and fill the gap. I hope gaps. so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think in relation to ASIC's <clears throat> comment that there may not be enough liquidators, um, I think that uh, across Australia, across all of 
the accounting firms that have teams that practice in insolvency and reconstruction, there is likely enough people taken as a whole to be able to handle the anticipated workload. Um, obviously, the registered liquidator, him or herself, doesn't have to do all of the work. Um, I have heard, though, um, amongst the big four accounting firms that people are being um, upskilled and redeployed out of the uh, um, less busy areas and into the reconstruction and insolvency teams, as the banks have been doing to sort of anticipate that um, resourcing need. Um, in turn, yes, I think um, if... You know, you, I keep hearing this word tsunami. I don't know that it's going to be <laughs> that big, to be honest, but, yeah. you know, to the extent there is a significant increase in um, work um, driving uh, formal insolvencies, then, yeah, naturally um, the, the knock-on work for, for lawyers is going to be there, especially, you know, lawyers in the, the corporate insolvency and, and reconstruction space. But I think, it, obviously, it's not just the lawyers. It's the valuers, the... Um, business brokers um, and all of the other professional services yeah. that, that um, external administrations require. I wonder, um, Mark, you know, if you've got someone who approaches you, they're selling their business and, you know, they're under pressure, you know, it, it, you know, if they don't sell it, their bank might close them up. I mean, that, that I guess you must get a bit of that and that would pose some special challenges, I suppose, because on one hand, you, you want to get the business sold. On the other hand, You've got buyers. You don't necessarily want to sell them a pup either. How do you deal with that? Oh, I think it's it's about being honest. You know, if if the guy's got a liability of a lease or something, and and he needs to to remove that liability, um, well, you know, there's a reason the business is being sold at a at a low price, and it's it's only going to sell for, it's not going to sell for the the full val for a full you know um, uh, for a high value if it's uh, if it's a fire sale really. Um, I think there's a couple of different cliffs there in the uh, in the headline that you've got there. There's a, there's a business cliff and there's a there's a, a property cliff. And um, I don't, as far as businesses go, there will be some businesses that won't be viable moving forward, um, just to the reduction in consumer spending, discretionary spending, and the like, and um, and the restrictions on on tra travel and whatnot. But um, as far as the property goes, I don't see the banks. Um, Letting a lot of these properties go under, and, uh, and certainly the the CEO of ANZ has already come out to say that we're going to work with people, as Alison said. Mm. Um, the banks are too too invested in the property market to really um, to see that go, go south. Yeah, so Alison might get busy with uh, with deeds of forbearance, but by, by the sounds of things, if if that's uh, an informal workout, so I suppose uh, might be the thing. All right, listen, we'll move along to our next slide. Uh, uh, this this uh, asset write off uh, up to one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars, and uh, and a uh, hundred percent write off. I guess we're all trying to find how we can justify jet skis as a business expense, perhaps. <laughs> um, what what is this? Do you think is this enough, uh, Mark? Do they need to be doing more, or is, is the government got the settings right? What do you think? Look, strong banks, uh, strong businesses will be able to use it. Um, mm. businesses that were weak or distressed before COVID um, we won't be in a position to use it but it's it's great news for business sales because it's not just new assets it can be uh, second-hand assets if it's right. a continuation of the previous one and in business right. sales where there's a high asset value whether it's a transport business or a, or a civil engineering or the like or um, or injection molding or whatnot those businesses, if they're buying other um, competitors or like businesses, can write off a lot of the uh, 
acquisition value straight away. Wow. Um, this, is, can, this is where they're splitting off the purchase into a, I guess, what's splitting the business off from the assets. Yeah, as long as they've got a, a valuation on those assets or they've, they've yeah. got uh, re- reasoning for the value on them, then they're, they're fine to write them off individually up to 150000 each. So you can, you know, potentially buy a trucking business with 100 trucks valued at 150000 each if, you, if you're yeah. that way inclined. What what, uh, what what do you think, Neil? Is this impacting the restructuring area at all, or what? What does it make uh, a difference think, in your I, world? I think I think it's helpful. I don't think it's the uh, the the end game. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's probably other issues in uh, in business. There's, there's you know payroll tax and stamp duty, which is we could talk about for an hour. But um, yeah. there's other other areas that I think would make more yeah. impact um, yeah. on on particularly the middle to larger market. I mean, just on the subject of, you know, this is obviously, you know, we're talking about people, uh, you know, availing themselves of, of tax relief. Uh, I mean, are you hearing anything out of the ATO? Are they still pretty much sitting on the sidelines or are they agitating more? No, they, they're, they're quiet in terms of uh, enforcement in um, in my business anyway, from what I've seen and my discussion with the ATO, they want to be uh, um, helpful. And we saw similar in the just after the GFC, where they really slowed down in terms of their uh, enforcement action. And uh, um, you just look at the whiny up list now compared to where it was in February, and uh, there's you know limited new winding ups compared to what was what was there. And uh, I think the ATA is just towing the line, quite frankly. What about you, Alison? Do you, is that would you reflect that, or do you do you see absolutely? No, I think the I think the ATOs. Um, doing, in inverted commas, the right thing along with the other um, COVID stimulus mechanisms that are about in the the economy. Um, I certainly don't think the ATO would want to be perceived to be the government agency that um, has forced um, a taxpayer into a particular position when they would otherwise have been able to dig their way out. Um, Of course, this can't last forever. It's the same as all of these measures, you know. So... Whilst the ATO might be deferring, at some point in the future, tax will have to be paid. Um, but I agree with Neil, you know, we, we all get these daily listings of um, applications for windings up and other formal insolvency appointments. And usually there's a, a decent sort of a list of ATO windings up. They just It just doesn't happen at the moment. It's been a dearth. I Correct. mean, I thought there was something wrong with my printer the other day. I mean, <laughs> there was just, uh, there was nothing there. Where's the second right. page? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, look, let's have a look at our next one. Yeah, this one we've uh, we've 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 pinched from from you, Neil. This is the Deloitte Access Economics uh, graph of consumer confidence, and you can see that was a cliff uh, back when, uh, obviously, when uh, when when Corona struck. Um, I mean, it has been a this is consumer confidence. It has been it has seemingly been coming back. Um, I mean, look, I'm not a I'm not a share market expert, but gee, the um, the, the stock market's been up and down, hasn't it? I mean, what 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 do you think? Um, Mark, what's what's do you, do you do you? I guess you're saying you're getting a lot of inquiries. So does that mean that that sentiment is positive? Um, I think it's more people looking to continue their cash flow, uh, whether it's uh, buying a job or whether it's uh, increasing their cash flow by buying up uh, competitors and the like. But mm-hmm. I see that headline there: COVID uh, derails retirement plans. I mean, yes. I've heard it so many times, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, these guys aren't getting any any younger. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I often have this conversation with people who have been in their business 20, 30 years, and they they have a perceived 
um, price or, or value in their mind and really it's where the market is at, at, at a point in time. Yeah. And um, and if they don't meet the market, they may end up being, uh, holding the baby, I guess. Um, it's a morbid thought, but yeah. at some yeah. stage yeah. they really need to just meet the market and enjoy their retirement. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's a tough conversation to be had, isn't it? I'm sure that Neil and, and, and Alison have seen people, uh, you know, files cross their desk where, you know, someone could have sold their business and, and had a retirement, maybe not quite in the luxury that but they'd hoped. But the best way I approach it is that we have a database of 7,500 transactions and no one has that. And it's like yeah. comparing apples for apples. It can be done in the housing sector, but not so much in business. Mm. And so if you really have a, a good foundation of comparable sales like that, you can take a vendor through that process and, and give them a good understanding of why their business has that value. Yeah, yeah. What about, um, um, I guess, uh, again, none of us are stock market analysts here, but, you know, the Dow uh, the Dow was eight, down 800, 1,800, was it, last night? Uh, obviously, this this headline, uh, the ASX plunging 3%, I've, I've, I've whipped off the, the, the papers this morning. I mean, um, there, there has been there has been a lot of confidence in the market, um, but uh, yeah. Look, I guess we'll, we'll move on from that. We'll move on from that. What's the next slide that um, that we've got? Yeah. Now, I appreciate Neil that you maybe not too much you can say about this one, but I was going to ask Alison this particular. Uh, I mean, it's it's a fascinating insolvency to to watch. Um, there's a there's a there's a whole bunch of people. There's people advising for. I think quarter quarter Mentor are acting for one of the potential buyers, and uh, there's other firms acting for the bondholders in particular. I'm thinking, and um, they've got there's two billion in bond bondholders in, in bonds. I think there was 900 million odd that was uh, just just raised back in November of last year. I mean, how do they get leverage these these people, Alison? They're talking about trying to get a seat at the table. How do they do that? Well, it's a really difficult question because at least under the existing law, as I understand it, they're unsecured creditors. Mm. Um, I'm unsure, um, aside from their collective clout as um, potential users of, of Virgin and their collective clout as, you know, genuine Aussie investors who... Mm. Um, thought that they were getting into something uh, safe at the time uh, mm. and, and perhaps even the sheer number of the people um, and the public sentiment associated with it, like this article, mm. I'm unsure whether where their legal leverage lies otherwise because, as everybody knows, um, under the Corporations Act, unsecured creditors are ranked at the bottom, unfortunately, mm. for the bondholders in this situation. Um, well, I mean, the other thing is that, that I guess what, not necessarily this article, but other articles I've read about this are talking about um, you know the, the bond market is relatively fledgling in Australia, and uh, yeah. you know it's you know if you look at the bond market in the US, for example, I mean it's light years ahead, um, and it is you know there is you know we, we'd all love to have publicly traded debt, and you know if people get torched and end up getting nothing. Uh, what does it do for the bond market? So I guess, the, what do you call it, a bit of a moral hazard issue there? Yeah, I mean, this article says that. It says it could affect mm. public confidence in the emerging corporate bond market. Mm. I think that's true, but I'm uncertain from um, the administration of Virgin's perspective. Yeah. To be honest, what difference that makes in mm. that 
the administrator, all he can do in this situation is call for proposals, which he's done, mm. get them, which he's done, and then assess them and make a recommendation to the creditors as a whole as to which proposal would be in the best interests of the creditors mm. as a whole. So he can't, I mean, he can negotiate the terms of the proposal, obviously, to get the best possible outcome for the creditors. Mm. But the proposals are what the proposals are, and we're working within the, the framework of the Corporations Act. So I think um, whilst there would be a massive amount of understanding and empathy for the bondholders, so lots of them are mums and dads, obviously, uh, yeah. there needs to be a degree of realism about their seat at the table in this. Yeah, well, I guess what's the uh, what's the Latin thing, uh, buyer beware, whatever it is. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard, so. but it is what it is. I wonder... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, um, uh, what I, yeah, next time uh, you bump into Vaughan Strawbridge at the water cooler, Neil, you might uh, might ask him if he'd like to um, like to come, come on and uh, we'd love to have a chat with him. I know it's a bit inappropriate at the moment. But maybe. I'm happy to do that. I think what Alison said is, is very much correct and uh, our bond market is so unsophisticated here compared to Asia and uh, America that... Uh, they are just treated as unsecured creditors, and that's really, really where it mm. stops. But um, mm. I guess uh, um, whilst my business is more a uh, un, um, SME middle market business, the, 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 the Deloitte team that is working on Virgin, working very hard to preserve that uh, that business. And if anyone can do it, that um, that Deloitte national team at that top end of town will uh, will make sure that happens. So uh, we wish them a lot of luck. Yeah, look, I mean, I think uh, we need we need that second airline. There's no doubt about it. All right, look, I think we we'll, we'll leave it there as far as headlines go. I, I started off by saying, look, we do live in crazy times, and uh, there's, there's no question about that. Uh, what, what's interesting is the headlines this week. There was fewer headlines that I could use this week because the 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 the, the, the news and the in the in the papers are just full of a whole bunch of other stuff that we don't even want to talk about. But by way of wrapping up, I suppose, I mean, where do you think the opportunities are? I'll, I guess I'll start with you. Mark, what, where do you think the opportunities are in the next couple of weeks? There's certainly sectors that have come, uh, have strengthened over this period and, and have got a, a higher demand, um, online, transport, logistics uh, and the like. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, if you look at the, the volume of sales in any country, hospitality um, is still going to be 80% now. Um, there's a lot of people that own uh, property, uh, retail property, and those people are going to want to see the the ongoing success of that retail property. So there will still be a lot of retail businesses that change hands over this period, whether it's because of their viability or whether it's because people are expanding or, or whatever those reasons, that, that is going to still um, take place. Okay. So uh, changing hands of, re of retail property, uh, I guess... You know, as Stunning and Cher said back in the 60s, the beat goes on, I suppose. <laughs> Alison, what about, what about yourself? In terms of opportunities, I would like to think that um, most WA businesses aren't going to, or not just WA Australian businesses for that matter, aren't going to sit on their hands and wait till the end of September and then say, right, what do we do now? Um, I would like to think that in the, the shorter term, um, people are going to start... Um, 
getting together their projections, um, getting together their cash flows, working out what it looks like on the other side of 30 September. And I do think that that is going to lead to a lot of work in the restructuring space. And I don't necessarily mean formal restructuring or through um, formal insolvency appointments. I mean restructuring their businesses and re-gearing up for when the benefits that they've been able to enjoy during this period um, ease out. So I, I see a real degree of restructuring work in our in our near future. The other thing, of course, that's coming up towards the end of September yeah, is the end of the automatic safe harbour protection. Right, yeah. So I anticipate, um, again, giving business the benefit of the doubt, that people will, um, again, turn their minds to whether there is a need for safe harbour protection when the automatic protection at the end of September comes to an end. Um, right. Because I really do think that there are going to be a lot of businesses that will be teetering in terms of their um, question of, of solvency um, after September. And so it's really important for directors to start thinking now about safe harbour protection once the automatic one falls away. You know that's uh, that is very interesting. I mean, look, we're we're coming to the end of our time, but it's very interesting. You would you certainly wouldn't want to emerge from this when the when the sort of quasi you know whole economy and safe harbour uh, when that when that gets lifted, and then all of a sudden you find yourself uh, you know potentially trading insolvent without that protection. So you're really saying in many what more ways than one, people need to get ahead of it. Get ahead yes. of uh, get ahead of it on terms of their business. Maybe yeah, interesting. What about you? Just just by way of final comments, Neil. Yeah, I think the opportunities are to have those conversations what Alison was referring to and um, I think the time is to have those opportunities now. Hopefully there's a bit of relief for hospitality with, with borders opening, a bit more relief for people moving around with retail, um, but that will still be still be a tough market. But I think those conversations and people planning early, um, you know, planning, you know, now, really now through August, not waiting for the 20th and 27th of September. Yes. Yeah, so really. that'll be the opportunity, I think. Okay. All right, look, we'll uh, we'll leave it there. Um, thank you to uh, everybody who's watched us live. Uh, just shout out to those that uh, watch us over the weekend on uh, YouTube or li listen to us uh, on their favourite podcasting platform. Um, thank you, Mark Jason from Link Business, Alison Robertson from HWL Ebsworth in Perth. Thank you for joining us from all the way. Uh, look forward to getting to Perth again. God knows when that'll be. <laughs> and Neil Cusson, uh, look forward to seeing you too soon, Neil. And thank you for coming on and joining us. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thanks.